Hello and welcome to the Press Gallery, the Adventure Journal's politics podcast. I'm your host, Emma Graney. It's been a funny morning already here before we even started recording, but this is the Take Me To Your Leader edition. With me today, my fellow legislative reporter, Stuart Thompson. Hey, we're all excited for Constituency Week. Yes. <laughs> That's like, it's week. like spring spring break for ledge reporters. Yeah. <laughs> and Paul Simons. Good day. Hello, hello. And Graham Thompson. Good morning. How are you? I'm fine. That's good. So when I say it's the Take Me To Your Leader edition, I'm not referencing UFOs, which Graham asked me earlier. Uh, I am, in fact, talking about the progressive conservatives, of course, have a new leader. I can't believe that was last week. I mean, it feels like a lifetime ago. I know. I know. It wasn't even a week ago that he was elected. Nutty. So, of course, he was elected on the basis of getting rid of the party. He, he being Jason oh, wait, Kenny. We'll get to oh, it. Oh, 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 okay. All right. So <laughs> wait. He, he must wait, not be named. Okay. Wait. He was elected on the basis of getting rid of the party and merging it with Wild Rose into a conservative mega force. <laughs> so it was a wacky convention. And I know Paula wants to get to this. Yes, it was. Who was it, Paula? Uh, for 10 points, Emma, it was Jason Kenny. Well done. Well done. So it was a wacky convention. We're going to probably spend most of the podcast talking about that. We will also, though, look briefly to our neighbours out east and the budget that they had. And more, more than that, though, the reaction here in Alberta. So, yeah, let's kick it off with the uh, PC Leadership Convention. Uh, Graham and I went down and so did Stuart as well. Yeah, tagged along. You had a good time, didn't you? Yeah. Who, who, who didn't? Um, <laughs> I can <laughs> tell you who didn't, <laughs> but we can discuss that later. I'm referring to someone who got arrested. For 10 points, that's Alan Holman, there Emma. <laughs> uh, where do we even start this? I don't even know where we should start this. Graham, you start. Okay, I'll start. I, well, the thing is, we knew... Well, We supposed. Yeah, we supposed that Kenny was going to win. And he had said he got 80% of the, the delegates from the local writing associations, and he, he got 75% was the actual vote, 1,113 votes out of 1,476. And second Three was, of which were spoiled. Yes, that's true. And then um, 323 went to Richard Starkey, and then Byron Nelson got 40. This is uh, no notes, by the way. Yeah, these numbers right. are off the top of Graham's head. I, I was going through the math, and I think, and I, I got to apologize to Byron Nelson. I did all the math, and it was seventy-five point four percent for Jason Kenny, twenty-two percent for Starkey. Starkey, and I said in my column, zero point three for Byron Nelson. No, it's three percent for Byron Nelson. Math I apologize. Hard. Math is Graham. hard. It is hard. So I apologize to Byron, and so. We suspected that Kenny was going to win, and he did, a uh, landslide. The thing is, the margin was important, because there was people in that party that are still actually there who thought that if Kenny was to get like 60 or 55%, the party could push back against him and not, in a sense, let him do what he wants to do. But he got 75%, and uh, he's pushing through now to basically, as you said, blow up the party and merge with the Wild Rose. So the convention, it was... Um, an interesting convention, watching the people in the hall basically cheer a person who's actually going to destroy the party. And people in that audience are some old-time Tories I've known for, well, decades. I've been around that long. And others I've never seen before. And uh, so Kenny has brought new people in. Who exactly they are, they're the ones who want to blow up the party. 
Well, when you ask who they are, of course, Richard Starkey got up in his last-ditch attempt to get votes, and he was basically going off about, if we do elect this guy, we're going to have to hold our breath and wait for the stupid things that these yeah, wild the roaders said. Yeah, balls of eruptions to come. Yes, and then he listed the lake of fire comments, the comparing Holodomor to the carbon tax. The um, feminism is cancer. Yeah, feminism is cancer thing, and a couple of other and things. And the crowd. He, he was getting boos. To the which, point, boo to the point you could not hear him speak. Yeah, so obviously there have been some wild roaders supporters come in there and there are a lot of them at the convention who are more than happy to boo Richard Starkey. Showed their hand a little bit there. Little bit, yeah. <laughs> little bit. I was I was not there. I was watching you guys tweeting this and I sort of felt I mean from because I'm because I'm getting it filtered, right? I mean you're giving me Starkey's words and I thought, well, this is this sounds like a great speech. And then I'm you know, then I see the tweets where he's being booed off the stage practically. I mean, that's, it's astonishing. He kept on going, bless him. Well, yeah, he just he kept, kept on, on going. going. Yeah, and <laughs> because he is not convinced this is a good idea, though. Um, he is still no. saying, look, uh, Kenny's plan is still very vague. Where do we go from here? So even though Starkey lost, came in second, afterwards he was not apologetic, saying he's still going to be pushing Kenny on where you're actually going to go with all of this. Uh, Kenny, his speech, it wasn't a bad speech, but he used lines like, when they go low, we go high. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I love your reaction to that, Paula. <laughs> you can't see her, guys. She's, she's thrown her head back well, and because, cackling. Because, cause I, because I've been warned that if I cackle right into the mic, it blows up. <laughs> <laughs> so when I'm about to do that, I was leaning way back. <laughs> So that is the comparison between Michelle Obama and Jason Kenney. Because that, that's a Michelle Obama line, right? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, and this is a day after his one of his former advisors is oh yeah taken away in handcuffs. So that was another interesting little aside. So this was Friday night. It was of course and Saturday. Emma was was pretty close to this. You actually I, saw I was part of it yeah, I did. happening. Um, yeah, so it was St Patrick's Day. There was uh, some libations. Yes, yes, libations. Uh, being consumed. Of course, hospitality suites are a big part of every convention. So uh, each candidate had a hospitality suite. Kenny's was charging 10 bucks a beer, which if that's the future Alberta that is on the, you know, in the horizon here, I want no part of it. $10 beers. Roger's place prices. Outrageous. And outrage. It was $4.50 for a soft drink. Wow. That's not much of a hospitality suite. It's an inhospitable suite (laughs) is what it is. And then, uh, and then Richard Starkey had his, which was kind of in a little funky little room. Actually, it had kind of exposed brick, and they had pizzas, and you had to get drink tickets for that. So I don't know how much they were. And the only one who had free booze was Byron Nelson. So he got dry. <laughs> he was dry. The suite was dry by about eleven yeah, o'clock. Yeah, at night. they they ran out of alcohol. Yeah, so he sent someone to go down and get more, and was like, "Should I send them with my credit card?" <laughs> when I saw him. He was drinking the last thing, which was a can of Okanagan cider. <laughs> so then they came back with more. And this is when I started, I got a text from um, a buddy of mine who said, you need to come out here. Alan Holman is on the ground um, in handcuffs. And Alan Holman, as most of you probably know, uh, is very involved in the Progressive Conservative Party, has been for years. But he was recently turfed out of the party or suspended for a year because of inappropriate tweets. He also was a big part of Jason Kenney's leadership uh, campaign. Now, they said he was no longer part of it. Others are not quite so sure. But at any rate, so then he was removed from hospitality suite by security. And then at some point, there's a kerfuffle, let's say. And then he ends up in handcuffs in a secure room. When I say he, I mean Alan Horman, and ends up charged with assault. 
And the alleged victim is not another delegate, but a security security guard. guard. I mean, if he'd punched another delegate, that would be one story. If he's allegedly, if he's charged with punching a security guard, that's a different story. Yeah. So there are all kinds of, you know, who thinks who called security on him. There's all kinds of weird little rumors kind of floating around this thing. But this is about one o'clock in the morning. He's, and I saw this, he was in this kind of room right onto the, that is onto the street and it had these blinds on it, but because the lights were on inside the room and it was dark outside, you could just see him just standing there, leaning up against the wall, kind of laughing with his hands behind his back, uh, kind of cuffed there. And, and so when so when did the police show up? There was the funniest part of all of this is that they called the police at about 10 to 12. I spoke with the Calgary police the next morning. It took me a while to get hold of the duty sergeant. But eventually I did get all of this confirmed, which is when I put the story up. But police were called about 10 to midnight. The police didn't... A police cruiser went by at about 1 o'clock. And one of the guys who was there with Alan Horman, he ran out onto the street and stopped the police cruiser and was like, hey, there's a guy in handcuffs in there. We really need to get him out. Can you please like, come and attend to the situation? They're like, oh, we're on patrol or whatever. So they called him back up and the backup was two um, bicycle cops who rocked up on their fat tire bikes with the little bike lights flashing and the helmets on it. Just lended a real air of... Very bizarre occasion to the whole thing. Well, you can imagine that Friday night, St. Patrick's Day in downtown Calgary, police might have had some other things to deal with. Yes. Yes. Um, I was on the streets and I can tell you they most certainly did have other things to deal with. So it, at any rate, the bicycle cops go in and they attend to the situation. Alan Horman ends up charged. Now, he gets let out of this room. And at this point, it's um, myself, my colleague at the Calgary Herald, uh, James Wood, and Duncan Kinney from uh, Progress <laughs> Alberta. He was loving Alberta. every moment of yes, this. Yes, he was. Uh, he had filmed things and he was putting them on Twitter. And it was the three of us there and, and Duncan was kind of filming this, that and the other. And Alan came out and I said, hey, Alan, wanted to ask you a couple of questions. So he came over to us and he wanted, really wanted to chat. He's like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> He was still seemed to me to be very drunk. So then the police have said, when we say get out, we mean get out and made him leave the building. So I followed him to ask him some questions and he's like, I'm happy to chat. And then the people who were there to gather him kind of like shuffled him into an SUV and off he went. So I never get, did get to talk to him. However, his uh, knuckle was a bit um, was a bit messed up. And was Jonathan Dennis, the former Minister yes. of Justice and Solicitor General, there, yes, babysitting this all. Yes. I didn't even know that part. Yes, it's so that was um that was late Friday night, about one thirty in the morning, when he ended up getting out of police custody. And I would just like to toot our own horn a little bit here because last Friday on this podcast we were talking about the two sides of the Kenny campaign. There's the high side, which is Jason Kenny's kind of public, um, which I think are usually sincere. The things he says, you know, uh, about people um, saying nasty things about the premier and, you know, racism. He's usually come out pretty strongly against that. Then there's this other side. And we actually, I think, specifically mentioned Alan Hallman. And Paula looks very <laughs> proud of herself right now. Yes, because I said that they they had fought dirty and they didn't need to fight so dirty. And Emma said, oh, well, you know, he needed to bring, he needed to bring in these legacy Tories. I to- stand by what I said last Friday. <laughs> well, I mean, it worked. I mean, he got 75% of the vote. But, but holy man, I mean, this is a... 
this is a dark and ugly side of the old Tory machine. I mean, this you cannot blame on the Wild Rose interlopers. This is this is the legacy DNA of the Ralph Klein uh, Calgary conservative machine. And you saw people like Duncan Kinney, who's with Progress Alberta, there tweeting about it, and you had Sandra Jansen, you know, making comments on uh, Twitter about it. As I did well. cop, some, cop some flack, and I'm going to put this out there that um, you know, we hadn't got a story up. I actually wanted to wait to get it confirmed by the police that he had been charged and what he had been charged with, and that it was in fact Alan Horman, because you know I'm pretty new to Alberta. Yeah, no, I mean I I I do find this very frustrating. The people on Twitter who were sort of accusing post media of covering up this story, I'm like, no, no, sweeties, see, we have the story. We had the story before other people, and Emma just waited to make sure she had all the facts and wasn't just posting, you know, gossip. But you know. If people if people want to believe that we're somehow carrying water, for, I mean, I just, then they can go right ahead. I mean, it's just anyway, <laughs> silly pants. Yeah, I think they it's don't like, understand how excited a reporter would be that anyone of any prominence would be in a drunk tank in a building where a convention. Oh, happening. the fact that I stood there <laughs> and I could have, I could, I could have been in a pub. Having a perfectly reasonable time on St. Patrick's Day, <laughs> drinking a couple of green pints or well, something. Or you could you could have been asleep, getting some well-needed yeah. rest to prepare you for the next day's yes. news. Less likely. That's Less not, really that, unlikely. That's not Emma. But, a, no. but at one but you know in the I mean? morning, and in fact, you were working this story. Yeah. I mean, I just... Anyway. But I wanted to confirm it. Anyway, so now, aside from the, that whole sideshow... Um, what does what happens now, Graham? Because you were there when Jason Kenny uh, did his first press conference, right? Next, and that was on the day. Sunday. Yeah, just after he met with the board. Yeah, and we're looking for the timeline. And he was uh, saying, okay, now he met with the board, and it was a really important meeting. This is the like fifty odd members of the. I, I don't mean they're all odd. I mean fifty, 50 something. Odd <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they met with Kenny. Really important because we're wondering. Jason Kenny is one vote, and there's people now who do not want him to become leader. In fact, I think a few of them actually tabled that challenge against Kenny put forward by Jeff Rath, a lawyer, a few yeah. weeks ago, saying he should be disallowed. They that tabled was, it and it was defeated. Yeah, I mean, for process' sake, they had to, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, they had to. But yeah. you still see people on that board are still who, who do not want him. But again, going back to the margin, if he hadn't got an overwhelming majority, they'd be pushing back against him in that meeting. But he won over an overwhelming majority, so they said, okay, fine. Apparently, it was a really quite, um, I was told, a very upbeat meeting, a lot more positive than they thought. And Jason Kenney, in some ways, is being very um, contrite, is one word, uh, very sympathetic to their concerns, saying, look, I know people in this room didn't all support me, so let's work together. And they saw it's a very positive meeting. And they came out afterwards. And interestingly, I have Catherine O'Neill, who's the president of the party, was you know saying we're going to keep on fundraising and keep building this party, and we're saying why? <laughs> because who would give you money right now? It's going to be they're going to destroy the party. But she's really upbeat. The thing is, and this is sort of a, the, the fallback position still is that there's people in that board in the party who think that the merger is not going to go ahead. They think it still may collapse. In that case, you're going to have Jason Kenney as leader of the PCs. That's a very real thought among not all of them. Definitely some of them. In fact, Kenny talked about this in his scrum, his news conference, saying, yeah, you know, the plan B is if other people in both parties don't agree to this, I will stay on as leader of the party and use it to, as, as a unity vehicle. But, he said, 
Albertans will punish, basically, the voters will, will punish anybody who stands in the way. So if one of the parties says no to the merger, people will then see this as sort of a, a, a knife in the back to the unity movement. So Kenny had a news conference. It began, he was very good at the beginning, and then the sound system failed. Oh, yeah, and the soundboard actually. so bad actually, for him because... It blew up in a little puff of smoke, remember? And, and, uh, <laughs> and the sound was it, gone. It, it was being uh, streamed yeah. live on CBC, Very I think it was. So I felt, I felt bad About for the guy. three and a half minutes or four minutes, he just had to stand there he waiting. He couldn't say me. anything. And so then he had the statement, and then he had the questions about the timeline and his timeline, what he plans on doing. And um, he talked about um, setting up a, a negotiating committee yes. from both parties to move forward. Well, that morphed into a discussion team yeah, the apparently following the day. Negotiation committee sound too legalistic, he said on Monday. And, and so I'm jumping ahead to the Monday. But yeah, so, so the, the news conference was him talking about his plans in terms of his timeline, which really follows the timeline we saw last year in his um, <clears throat> presentation. Um, so they get together, figure out the merger. They both go to the grassroots and both parties. They agree to it. There's a founding convention in November, and in about a year from now, there'll be a leadership race for the new party. And that's his timeline. It's like spread out for the year ahead. It may not work out that way. So on Monday... <laughs> on Monday, you actually have a meeting between Jason Kenney and Brian Jean. And again, this negotiating team morphs into a discussion group. And it doesn't sound nearly as ambitious. Um, there's a meeting in Gene's office. The media is not allowed to take photo op pictures off. Despite Emma's best efforts yes. to get in there. And then afterwards, <laughs> out comes Kenny and goes downstairs to do a scrum with us. Gene stays in his office, does not come out to wow. do a joint news conference. I, I can just imagine because where Gene's office is looks out onto where we were doing that press conference. So I just imagine Brian Gene was standing at his window just kind of watching it. Yeah, with like watching a cat on unfold. his lap. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, the thing is, Gene didn't want to do it, I think, for several reasons. One is that he's not convinced that Kenny's way is the right way. He has his own way of, of unifying the two parties. But also, Gene is the, he's an elected MLA, leader of the official opposition. He doesn't want, in a sense, to have Kenny with him in a joint news conference because then oh, that yes, elevates course. him yeah. to the same level as Brian Jean because Kenny is not elected. He's not Emily. He's a leader of the, the PCs. But he doesn't have a seat. Exactly. And Jean is the official opposition leader. So there's also the optics. They did not want him to be sharing the podium with, uh, with Kenny in, in that sense. So um, also we're seeing that there is friction between the two, even though they keep saying how wonderful they are and how great it is. Um, there's friction as to how they're actually going to achieve unification. And that's another reason why they didn't actually have the uh, the joint news conference. Graham mentioned that there is people in the PC party who would be happy to see this fail. And I think it is worth mentioning that there are people in the Wild Rose who just, if this were to fail, they'd be as happy as if it succeeded. And that is a, I don't think it's a majority, but it's a substantial part of both parties. And the merger is probably more likely to succeed than not. But it is worth remembering that there are people who say, you know what, if it fails, no big deal. We're the Wild Rose. We've got 34% poll numbers. We're ahead of the Premier by like 10 points. We'll be fine. And that, I think, is a force to remember in all these negotiations that not everybody's clamoring for this. Yeah. You know, it was interesting. I, th I thought one of the most revealing things Jason Kenney said this week, you know, he, he watched 
question period. And he doesn't like the way they do it. And when he's premier, it's going to be different. <laughs> and I thought, oh, sweetie, many, many, many steps before you are premier and making the rules for how the legislature is run. That was because um, I I'd, I was watching him. He was directly across from me because we're in the press gallery. Is is directly across from the speaker's gallery, which is where he was sitting because he can sit there now that he's a party leader. And I was watching to see if he closed his eyes again. And, and did so, he? Um, it's really hard to tell. It's hard to tell. Because yeah. I think he sort At of sits At one point back. he did like, my cat did the same thing last night. He was kind of sitting on his little podium and it <laughs> looked like. Listening to question period. Yes. Crazy. He's very intelligent. Uh, no, but he was sitting on his little, you know, cat podium thing. And it look, he's kind of like, his eyes looked like they were closing. And then he opened them all of a sudden. I thought, oh my gosh, that's just what Jason Kenney did. But. Uh, he did have a go at me last time. I said he was asleep in question period. Well, I guess if you want to sleep in question period, then there would be a reason to complain that it's too noisy. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, because I'd, I'd asked him, the only reason I asked him, like, hey, you're in question period. What did you think? And he was not, I think, prepared for that question. Yeah. He did some uh, kind surprise I was asking. Jason Kenney is one of the most prepared politicians I've ever seen. Mm. Um and you have a unique ability to unsettle him. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Once asked him, why, why are you here? It was budget day, I believe, wasn't it? No, it was throne speech day. Throne speech, okay. Yeah. And yesterday, we were talking to Brian Jean and about the Saskatchewan budget. And he was saying, well, you can't spend your way out of uh, debt. And they called last question. And I kind of was thinking about a question, but I could see the look on Emma's face that I should just let her do it. And she said, come on, Brian, you got to spend money to make money, right? <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't know what to say. And he I think, kind of looked at me and went, Jesus Christ, Emma. <laughs> but it's an underrated thing, though, that you can put a politician off their game by doing that. And they, <laughs> people, and this goes back to the question period thing, is people get mad about heckling and they get mad about all that stuff. But the other option is that these people just stand up there and say the talking points that they know by heart and don't have anyone trying to put them off their game. They don't get their adrenaline up. They don't get kind of agitated. And when that happens, sometimes they say something that they mean but didn't mean to say. And that is something that you can do happen. as a reporter. Well, I mean, quite, that's what question period. I mean, I, I know that people who want to, like, tame question people and make it so that the children who are in the gallery are never upset. That is not the point. The point of question period <laughs> is to provide political theater. And it is not supposed to just be the tossing back and forth of puffballs. It's not supposed to just be, you know, people following and reading their notes. I mean, if it's supposed to be a blood sport. Yeah. Dang it. Um, <laughs> Although it know. was nice when um, PC Wayne Drysdale Wayne yeah. got up yesterday and he was asking O'Neill Kalia some questions about the pine beetle, I think it was. And it was just such a pleasant exchange between the two. There were real questions and, and real, answers. real answers. Well, that's no also what it's rhetoric. That's also was, what it's supposed to be. Yeah, I mean, and it was but, so pleasant. It was so pleasant. I'm just like, oh, you guys. That was lovely. And the thing is, Paul, I, I take your point. It should be some theater. But the problem is right now, it's devolving to the point where the questions are nonsensical and the answers are nonsensical. There's yeah, there no exchange a lot of information. It's in just there. a lot of yelling at each other. So today, later on today, um, the, what are we calling this now? Negotiation committee? No, discussion committee. D discussion teams, I think. Yeah, the names of that is supposed to be released. Today. Um, today. It is right. Friday morning as we record this, so it's supposed to be later on in Friday. Um, is there any thought, Graham, about who actually might be on this? Yeah, this you know, I didn't want to guess. I've been asking and they won't tell me. And I'm really curious as to who's going to be on it. I don't know. They have until April 30th. It's going to be the deadline, it's according to Kenny. So obviously it won't just be MLAs. Oh, no. I think it's going to be, no, I don't think it'll be other people, I imagine. Um, 
And it'd be telling to see who's actually on these committees. I don't know. I don't even want to guess. Well, wasn't uh, Donna Kennedy Glantz? Her name was thrown around, bandied around last weekend. Has been offered the... a yeah some kind of position with a transition, transition team, team under Kenny because even though she dropped out of the PC leadership race because That's right. she said there wasn't any room for centrist voices. And this is Kenny going back to that uh, committee of the um, board of directors meeting last Sunday. This is Kenny making up uh, an an attempt to reach out to the moderates in the party. And it wasn't just last Sunday. It was the week before. I talked to people in the party who are moderates who said that he came out and had lunch with them or coffee with them. So after he knew he had sewn up the leadership race and he could stop pushing so hard, he began reaching out to the moderates in the party saying, I want to work with you. I understand. I know you may be upset with what actually has happened, but please let me work with you to build a big tent. And this goes back to Donna Candy Glanz being asked to go into the... I don't really understand a transition team at this point. It was a transition team that was going to figure out who was going to be on this negotiation committee. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Uh, this is yeah. politics. It's beautiful, isn't it? What a, what a beautiful beast. Um, I would like to switch gears just briefly to the Saskatchewan budget that came out on Wednesday, the same day as the federal budget. Well, you said the budget to the east. I thought you meant the federal budget. But nope. No, you mean the Saskatchewan well, budget. They were the same day. Both yeah. to the east. My Yeah, my lucky colleagues in Saskatchewan had two budgets on the same day. The reason I bring this up is not because of Saskatchewan's budget. Well, I mean, it is. But mainly the reaction here in Alberta to Saskatchewan's budget. Because, of course, Saskatchewan has been held up by Wild Rose and PCs as a, as a beacon of fiscal promised land. And they un- unleashed their budget on Wednesday. It's got a 656, I think, uh, million dollar deficit. So nowhere near as big as Alberta's. But they've made a lot of cuts and they've upped the PST by a full 1% and cut some corporate taxes as well, as well as cutting the provincially owned bus system called STC, which is the only... Which will create like 250 job losses, I think. Yeah, 254. And you've got to fit in Saskatchewan too. I mean, these routes were extremely unprofitable. It was... The province was running them at a huge loss, but it's the only way that you can get to these rural communities if you don't drive. It's also a parcel service uh, that a lot of communities use it as, but anyway, so that's been cut. Graham, you were at... You guys... Who was at the Notley thing? Uh, we both we went. Both, yeah. Graham and Stuart, the, you the guys The Thompson both. team. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The Thompson Father and son. <laughs> the Thompson twins. <laughs> so you guys both went to the Notley press conference in response to the federal budget, but of course the Saskatchewan well, budget Well, it was ostensibly up. the federal budget, and out came Notley. The thing is, before she came out, her office has said, look, she's talking today at uh, 3.30, 4 o'clock, whatever, on the federal budget. We go, okay, fine. And then the Kenneth said... But you might want to ask her about Saskatchewan. So she comes out. She questions. really liked that. She talked about the, the federal budget and then questions about the federal budget. She more or less, you know, this is a pretty good budget. A lot of questions in this budget didn't matter to her. She says, it's a pretty good budget. $30 million for um, maybe the orphan well cleanup. Yes. Drop in the bucket. But hey, it was not bad, she said. And then I had to, okay, I had to bite. Okay, fine, I said. <laughs> How about the other budget, Saskatchewan budget? And then boom, it was like igniting a cannon as a boom. And she had just, and apparently it was not rehearsed. She just went off and talked like like one run-on sentence about 
how awful Saskatchewan's budget was, increasing taxes on children's clothing, construction material through the PST, and in Alberta, construction's a good thing. We're trying to build things and create jobs in Saskatchewan. They're taxing it, and boom, boom, (laughs) boom, boom, boom. boom. So it's all about Saskatchewan, how evil it was, how bad it was. In Alberta, we're doing things much better. Two different, you know, a, a dichotomy in budgets. And it was, I could tell. And I asked her office, and they said it was not rehearsed. This is just her primed and ready to go. This is going to be the speaking point from now on, going back to your point, Emma, about the opposition saying how wonderful Saskatchewan is. So now whenever the opposition raises Saskatchewan, you've got the premier and her entire cabinet just willing, ready, and able to, to slam it down. No, but the, the the irony of the new Democrat premier saying, "Oh, you know, we're a much more business friendly <laughs> province. We we're keeping taxes low. We have a zero percent PST, not a six percent PST." I mean, it it, it, <laughs> it is it is amusing. I was talking about this last night because I, I, my mom's in town, but like she was just kind of asking, like, "What is the deal with that? Like, what is because yeah. we're they're new to Alberta, and so and not like political junkies by any stretch, my parents, and so." sometimes you talk about this stuff in a way that is not how you normally talk about it. Like with how we chat together, it's a very different conversation than how normal people talk. Um, (laughs) But it did make me realize that not least trying to pin what's happening in Saskatchewan on the opposition party as, as, and they're taking as their premise that that's bad. And Albertans don't want that. And I think it's fair to say that Albertans don't want a PSD and that's pretty conclusive, but I don't think anyone thinks the Wild Rose Party would ever bring in a PST. I don't think that is even on the table or even a conceptual reality. But the cuts that Brad Wall did, I think, are pretty similar to what the conservative parties would want. And I don't know if in Edmonton, nobody wants cuts because that's a lot of jobs in Edmonton. But if you are in Grand Prairie or you are in Calgary or Lethbridge, does minor cuts really seem that bad to you? Like, are you looking at Saskatchewan and going, that is horrific and I can't believe they're doing that and that is what the Wild Rose would do, so I'm scared of that. Or are you thinking, you know what, they're taking the fiscal matters in Saskatchewan seriously and not everyone's going to like it, but at least they're making bold decisions and at least they're grappling with their deficit. So I, you could tell by the Premier's face that <laughs> they thought this was a big political win for them, but I don't know how that message is going to resonate outside of Edmonton. Yeah, it's really, I mean, it is interesting. It's going to be an interesting case study, you know, 100 years from now, because you have two jurisdictions taking two completely different strategies to to deal with uh, low oil prices and deficit budgets. It, you know, I mean, if you if you distance yourself from it, it'll be fascinating to see the comparison of, you know, two different models. Another thing is that the headlines from now on from Saskatchewan, you're right, Stuart, if we don't see really any more negative headlines out of Saskatchewan, people are going to say, well, look, you know, they did the budget and no one's dying. If, in fact, though, we start seeing more and more headlines from post-secondary institutions that were getting cuts and people are upset or there's more layoffs, then the NDP can use that as a club against the the opposition here. But if things get pretty quiet there, and I, I think you're right, Stuart, because at least you could also argue that Saskatchewan, yes, they're doing the balanced budget in three years. In Alberta, we think it's six years, but we've, we've seen no actual plan to actually balance the budget. And even as yesterday I was on a, a, the University of Alberta, and one of the professors there was talking in a panel about there's not even a fake plan to do the budget. You know, we're used to governments in the past in Alberta doing fake budget plans to balance the budget. There wasn't even a fake one with the NDP. Now, they could argue the NDP is being more open and honest, 
But ultimately, people want to see kind of a plan to actually balance the budget, and you don't see that actually in Edmonton or Alberta at all. And on that note, let's go to our regular segment, Good Stuff from the Gallery. Stuart, what do you have for us, mate? So there is a piece, and this is uh, maybe a little controversy that it's kind of inside baseball, but I think it is interesting, um, especially because for an entire week, Emma and Graham have been making fun of me because I said on the podcast last week... (laughs) What a time to be alive because we see economists and academics tweeting and writing things. And so they've been saying, what a time to be alive, Stuart, right? Uh, for a week now. Um, but this is... That is true, but we do, we do it out of love. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Along those lines. Um, so Andrew Potter, who's former editor of The Citizen, um, had to resign from his role at McGill because of something he wrote in McLean's. He wrote a pretty bad column, kind of bashing Quebec, but the... McGill actually came out and uh, sort of rejected his views and then seems to have forced him to resign. And that to me is... The the principal of McGill says that's not what happened. Yeah. Uh, That to me is a chilling thing to see happen because if academics start to worry that they're going to get sacked or forced to resign or resign by their own volition, apparently, um, because they write something unpopular, that really ruins a big area for all of us. to a big resource for all of us. So there is a piece in the Globe by Michael Byers about how he wrote about, you know, terrorism after 9-11, which was uh, not a popular thing to be writing about the way he was writing about it. And Duke University stuck by him. And he's comparing that to what happened at McGill. Bola, what do you have for us? I am going to recommend a great piece from Mother Jones, uh, the American uh, left of center news magazine and website. They have done a very straight up timeline of Donald Trump's relations with Russia. And it starts, you know, back uh, when Gorbachev was still in power and uh, Trump was negotiating to build hotels. And it just outlines all of Trump's Russian dealings and contacts and contacts uh, that his team had from, you know, 1987 to today. Um, Lays it all out sort of without comment and you can just look at it. And I found it very interesting reading, so I highly recommend it. <laughs> is it as fun as watching Donald Trump in a in a big truck pulling the <laughs> horn and looking like a happy six year old? Yeah, that was amazing footage. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna Donnie in his big boy truck. It was <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna recommend a piece from our colleague at the Calgary Herald, James Wood. He did an amazing profile on Jason Kenny. It is a big long read, so definitely have a snack ready. It's called From Snack Pack to Leader of Progressive Conservatives, How Jason Kenny Got to Where He Is Now. And he went back and looked over um, Jason Kenny's political history, his personal history, and it's a really, really good read. And if you're really into reading even more about Jason Kenny, 2014, there was a really good profile in The Walrus. So I'll not post a link to that as well. Uh, I have two subjects. One, I sent you a link already. Time Magazine did an interview with Donald Trump. So there's an article about it and the whole transcript. Someone else has actually done uh, a version that's been redacted. All the lies have been redacted <laughs> so in funny. the transcript. And it's basically it's so all black lines with a few words like the and and here and there just to point out that the whole issue here is that he lies all the time and when the reporter is trying to push him to you know clarify things he lies even more first subject second subject um paula had some photographs yesterday of serenity in the journal that's become a big speak a talking point at the legislature and also should point out that paula is a nominee for the National Newspaper Awards for her wonderful pieces last year on Serenity. 
So that's, that's a pretty big deal. The newsroom itself got an NNA nomination for the coverage of the fire last year. So that's Murray. that's all of us. And and today, our colleague Larry Wong was also nominated for a Canadian Association of Journalism Award for his portfolio of photos. I haven't looked at all. Oh, all that's great because I was actually yet. up there with them last year. Uh, Larry was. was uh, we're a little team. Yeah. That was great. So, uh, yeah, so it's been a good week for us at the Edmonton Journal. Thank you guys so much for joining me. Stuart, Paula, Graham, and Sean here to film some of this and put it online at edmontonjournal.com where you can find all our past episodes of the Press Gallery. You can also subscribe to our SoundCloud channel, iTunes, and tune in radio and get all the latest updates. Hope you join us this time next week here on the Press Gallery. Press Gallery.